Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Listen, many of us here in the U.S. know that right now, this time of year, it's cold outside. Exercising requires layers. You got to give yourself that extra couple minutes to scrape the frost off your car windows before driving to work, if you're me anyway. And you know what? Nothing starts off the morning quite like a steaming mug of freshly brewed tea. And to be fair, I'm a year-round tea fan. And in this episode, I have the distinct pleasure to bring you a conversation with my friends Brittany and Joe from White Tea Company, a Baltimore-based luxury tea brand. And I know that some of you out there are probably like, luxury tea, that sounds a bit esoteric. I'll stick with my trusty bag of Lipton. But listen, I came into this conversation with only a very basic understanding of what makes a great cup of tea. And this brother-sister duo gave me a delicious crash course in exactly what most of us are missing out on in the world of all things steeped and steamy. But before we get too crazy here, I know some of you are wondering, hey, when do I get to make myself a drink? Well, how about right now? This week's featured cocktail is punch. And I know that punch is more of a category than a cocktail, but I wanna take just a minute here to review exactly how easy it is to make a great tea-based punch in the classic style. Instead of a recipe, I'm going to offer a ratio. And this is the golden rule that I personally follow with very minimal divergence when I'm putting together a punch for my friends and family. The ratio is, very simply, 4 to 2 to 1 to 1, water, or tea in this case, to spirits, to sugar, to citrus. That's 4 parts tea, 2 parts spirits, and then 1 part each of sugar and citrus. And we'll unpack that ratio in a second, but first, we got to pause and review the most important thing to keep in mind. When you're dealing with a ratio, instead of a set measurement, you need to pick your anchor point. What's gonna be the one ingredient that you wanna set as the standard for everything else to react to? In this case, I find it easy to use a standard 750 ml or roughly 25 ounce bottle of spirits as your anchor. That way, all you gotta do is go to the store, pick up your spirit, and you know that all you got to do is dump that sucker without measuring. You know exactly how much is in there. And you know that everything else is going to react around that 25 ounces. So if the 2 in the 4 to 2 to 1 to 1 ratio is 25 ounces, then you know that you're going to need 50 ounces of tea. That's your 4. And it's literally just 50 ounces of water with the tea of your choice steeped in it. And we'll get later on in this episode to recommendations on what temperatures and how to go about steeping your tea. But for now, just 50 ounces of tea. And then covering the smaller portions of our recipe, the one and the one, that's gonna be about 12 to 13 ounces of both citrus juice, fresh squeezed, 
if possible, and a simple syrup. If you're worried that your punch is not gonna be sweet enough, you can go with a richer simple syrup, but most of the time, regular strength, one-to-one -one simple syrup is just fine. If you wanna learn more about that, check out our episode on homemade syrups. Now, the last element in the punch equation that we haven't talked about here is spice. Traditionally, grated nutmeg is what's called for, and especially if you're working with a dark spirit, that's a great choice. Fresh nutmeg is hard to beat. But we've also found great applications for our embitterment cocktail bitters in these situations, since they're essentially just a highly curated profile of various herbs and spices. So keep that in mind. For more information on batching cocktails like this, we're going to link to episode 16 on batch cocktails over on the show notes page, which has a bunch of great thoughts on punch and other large format drinks. But just remember this, for the purposes of this episode here, tea is an essential component of most traditional punches. So as you listen to our conversation, keep your ears open for the flavors and blends that seem to be begging for a feature role in your next large format drink. And now back to the interview. In this conversation with Brittany and Joe from White Tea Company, we cover a broad range of tea-related topics, including how a sibling joke in the midst of a recession kicked off a decade-long collaboration to create delicious tea blends for home consumers the agricultural origins of tea, which share many things in common with the way we think about wines and spirits as agricultural and human-processed products. I know that's a bit long-winded, but is a really fascinating thing to unpack, so I, I can't wait for you to hear it. The difference between a tea, a tisane, and a chai. Quality indicators to look for when selecting your next tea or matcha at the store. How to use teas in cocktails, toddies, and punches with an eye toward pairing a blended herbal product with a distilled spirit, and much, much more. This was truly a delightful conversation. I learned a ton, and you know it was a good interview when you leave the room ringing with more questions and inspiration than when you arrived, and that's definitely what happened here. So with that thought, I will leave you to enjoy this fantastic interview with Brittany and Joe, the duo who bring us the highly curated tea selections offered by White Tea Company. Brittany and Joey, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Hi. So can you just quickly introduce yourselves for our listeners and uh, tell everybody what you do? So uh, my name's Brittany and my brother Joey and I have been making luxury loose leaf tea blends by hand since 2016-ish. We got started in 2015, but we didn't really um, have, like, yeah, have much, yeah, until 2016. Um, and we've been studying tea for about 11 years where we both really love it. We kind of came to be friends because of tea. We're about seven years apart, so... Yeah, that's about all we life, really had in common. Did, yeah. <laughs> we didn't really talk much or hang out much until we started drinking tea together. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about that since it um, seems to be a pretty interesting part of your story? Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, Joey's always loved tea. He Well, we always used to drink it with our family members and I didn't really care about it. Joey did. And in 2008, 
I graduated from college. It was the recession, which was a really wonderful time to try and find a job in the creative field. It was just great. Um, so me and Joey didn't talk, but I guess he overheard me crying on the phone to my mom, freaking out about paying all of the student loans that I was going to have to pay soon and things like that. So uh, he told me to get a job at a tea shop because he wanted my discount. <laughs> uh, okay, that's a very caring brotherly yeah. thing to, to do in that and, situation. <laughs> so uh, I got the job and it was an immediate love for me too. So I would bring home tea to my parents' house when I visited. We would start having tea around the dinner, like the dining room table and talking about it. And that's really just how things started growing. You know, we started making our own blends that way too. We would have friends over. We'd all sit around the dining room table and chat and it became our own sort of way to connect with each other despite having nothing else really in common at that point. So Okay. And what was it like for you, Joey? Um, so... <clears throat> Excuse me. I have been into tea for years and years. I'm thinking maybe around seven, I kind of sparked an interest for it. Um, and that really came from us at our grandmother's apartment, all crowded around this little tiny table drinking tea. That's with a lot aunts. of family members, yes. maybe like 30 people crammed into, into a... this little tiny apartment uh, every Sunday evening. Where was that? And was that here in Baltimore? Uh, yeah, so it was, yeah, just outside of Baltimore. Okay. Um, and it was every Sunday we would go over and have dinner. Um, half the crew after dinner would split up and go sit and watch TV. And then the other half would sit around the dinner table drinking tea. And so I would sit with everyone drinking tea, really loved it. Started, you know, trying to branch off from your typical, you know, Lipton or Red Rose tea and try different tea blends that I would find laying around my grandmother's house. Um, and then that grew to me reading about tea and looking into it more and trying to find different weird things that sometimes I loved and sometimes I really hated. But that's the fun of it is uh, finding those all those different things that they had to offer. So then I grew up, got older. Brittany and I had that discussion um, about you should work in that tea shop because I want that discount. <laughs> and uh, later I started working for the same shop. So we made different tea blends and chanted with each other. And we've always kind of just been doing that. Okay, so you first began collaborating at, at a shop basically owned by somebody else. Yes. Yeah. And you uh, honed your skills there. And then uh, how did White Tea Company kind of grow out of that? So I think we toyed around with the idea for a while. I, I think our mom had made a suggestion just somewhere along the line. I don't know if it was jokingly or what, but as as the interest just stuck around and it still was part of both of our lives, we realized it wasn't joking. It was, we should take that seriously. Yeah, and I think that at a certain point, you and I had both stopped working in that tea shop. Yep. And um, we were still going. We so. were still loving tea and drinking tea. And we kind of looked around the area to try to see as consumers, where can we buy the things that we want to buy? And there wasn't much of a, much of a market there. So we decided that take that jokingly, you know, made comment from one of our family members and actually consider it seriously. Yeah. I love how a lot of businesses grow out of sort of a joke. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's so many places I want to go with this, but first, why don't we do something that's unrelated to my questions and talk about what we're, what we're drinking right now, because I think some questions might grow out of that. Sure. So right now we are sipping on a 2018 Spring Harvest Jasmine Pearl Green Tea from the Fengqing countryside of the Yunnan province of China. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's basically a teener's way of saying this is 
the you know top yield. This is the fanciest, the best stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. As we've been drinking this, and I, before we started rolling, I kind of got that answer out of you, and I wanted to get it on tape because mm-hmm. it brings to mind a couple of areas where I find myself completely ignorant about tea. And and so just to break that down, this is a, you started with a 2018. Yeah. So when you have different harvests in tea and especially Chinese tea and Indian teas, but the one we're drinking today is from China. Um, the different harvests from different points of the year are going to yield slightly different flavors. And the most withheld and often most expensive is the spring harvest because after the frost, goes away and we get into some warmer temperature, the leaves are growing really slow and they're very tender. Um, and so that can give a wonderful aroma, flavor, mouthfeel that is just so much different than harvested later in the year when it's hotter or getting cold again. Yeah. Interesting. And and of course, so like, so we've got the 2018, which specifies a year of a harvest. Yes, which means it's the freshest spring harvest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then spring, so not only 2018. So a year is something that you that you hear from a wine, right? Yes. So like as soon as you said 2018, I'm like that's a vintage. Yes. And then you said spring, and I'm like, okay, then this is clearly like there's tears going on here yes. within that. And then is is there something about the way this tea was prepared or like yes. shaped? Yes. So this is a tea that takes a lot of care. Um, they've been doing this practice for hundreds of years where in the morning for this specific tea, because it's been scented with jasmine, um, a team of people will go out and pick jasmine blossoms before they open and then they'll bring them back and a separate team will have gone out into the terraced, uh, hillsides where the tea is grown. They'll pick the, this one, I believe it's close to a malfung, which is a very certain pick of leaf. So it's two leaves and a flower in there often, um, and they'll bring those back and they'll put them in a giant wooden crate and layer the jasmine and then the green tea and then the jasmine and then the green tea. And over a period of anywhere from 24 to 48 hours, those flowers will open up and that flavor and aroma will be released. And the green tea is so delicate that it's going to take in all of those flavors. Mm-hmm. So the next step is they remove as many of the leaves or the um, jasmine blossoms as they can. And then they take five tea leaves and roll in by hand, roll them into little pearls. And I think, I believe this was originally done for shipping purposes. That makes them way denser and you can transport a lot more tea uh, in a lot less space, but it's a practice that they still do today. Right. And it's very beautiful because, so you, you came up next to me and you said, here, smell this. And I, I, I put my nose in it and I was like, is it tea? Because it doesn't look like tea. I've never (laughs) seen tea pearls. Yes. That's really fascinating. Um, so not only do we have like a vintage, not only do we have a specific harvest level or like premiumness of the the raw ingredient, we have a preparation that is almost like a um, non-liquid infusion or a suffusion yes. of uh, the, I, I imagine the oils and the volatiles that are present in the jasmine flowers that the green tea then takes on That's before drying. There's a really good scientific word for that property in tea leaves, and I cannot think of it right now. <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry, because uh, I'm not a scientist, and I don't think most of our listeners are scientists, although I shouldn't assume that in this day and age. But um, all right, so... We've talked about how you you got into this. Can can you tell us a little bit more about tea as a as a premium 
product because obviously what we're drinking right now, you can tell just based on the experience and the flavor is a premium product. Um, you've done a really good job explaining it and curating it for me in this setting. And I'm, I'm wondering what the difference is between tea as a commodity yes. and tea as a premium product because clearly the stuff that's presented in the grocery stores is a highly commodified thing. Yes. And just the way that tea came up historically – it, it was a very, very much a commodity. It was a highly sought after commodity yes. historically. And um, I'm just wondering wh where that breaks today sure. for the so, modern consumer. What we're drinking right now is like the top end of the top end. Um, it's very expensive. Brittany and I like this kind of tea and someone who appreciates you know, high quality cocktails and coffees, I think would also have the taste for this. Um, but for those people who just like tea and are, are interested in drinking tea and maybe drink it every day, you know, I don't drink this sort of tea every day. Um, there are plenty of fine teas that are more of the commodity level that are far higher quality than what you're finding in grocery stores. Mm -hmm. um, and tea, if you think about it historically, even though it was more of a commodity, um, I think there was it was more of this type type of tea. It was the, you know, handcrafted, the bigger leaves, that's what it originated as. Then as civilizations grew and over time we needed to feed more and more, um, it started getting into the lower end, cheap bottom of the barrel, just get it in a bag and put it out. Right, it's a drug, get the caffeine right. into the people, um, it becomes commodified sort of like a drug. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's really interesting. Um, Go ahead, Brittany. I was going to say, when you go to the grocery store compared to, like, um, what you used to get as tea, you're getting basically the the dust that's fallen off of your tea leaf, and it's stored in a paper bag inside of a thin plastic... Not usually like, airtight. sheath. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, nothing... Is, so it's, you're just getting stale tea. Um, it's not anything like... Uh, the loose leaf tea that you can get that's stored in like tin <laughs> yeah, sure. that's kept kept away from air and light to keep it fresh. Okay. So. Yeah, we should definitely hit some um, like tea best practices before we wrap up here. Oh, we'll, yeah. We can do that at the end. But um, one of the other terms that, that you mentioned, which I think probably has a lot to do with your particular craft, like the magic that, that you work behind the scenes to be able to bring this to people as a product, uh, as something that like folks in our industry would call maybe a skew, right? You have like all these various skews that you take with you to markets that you have on your website. Uh, that term is blending. And that's also something that's really important in the spirits world. And I imagine that the blending of tea ingredients has a little bit in common with the blending of spirits, for example, um, especially because you're mentioning things like various harvests and various yeah. types of teas. So can you talk about um, maybe your product development approach um, and maybe even give, a, give an example of a product that you created as a blend and the steps that you took maybe to iterate on that and to, to fine tune it so that you're really proud to put it out? You want to talk about sage rose? Yeah, so okay. that was the biggest uh, <laughs> blending process with all the problems. Um, well, I, so I, I think the first step in our process is talking about flavors that we enjoy, also flavors that are up and coming. You know, we do some research going into the year about what popular flavors are um, coming up. We see how we can turn that into tea. And then we start talking about 
what, where we want to go from there. So the first tea that we ever came up with, I really wanted to do something with sage and rose. And it took it took a lot. Uh, um, maybe 15 different trial batches. And that's very labor intensive. <laughs> and it's very time consuming. And so the sage rose is basically, it's a Chinese white tea with sage, pink rose petals, and some lemongrass. So while that sounds very simple, those flavors can often fight with each other. So the first batch was like potpourri. The second batch was like moss. And each batch after that kind of took one of those routes. And I was about to give up and throw in the towel. And I, I said, was determined. Yeah, I said, we'll do one more. And we modified the, the recipe just a little bit. And then we got it. That was it. It was amazing. What was that last tweak that you made that, that put it over the top? It was really just trying to find that balance between a really earthy flavor like sage and a floral light mellow flavor that can be overpowering like rose. Mm -hmm. um, because every one we made was either way too much moss, sage, deep earthy flavor mm -hmm. or way too floral. And there wasn't quite that balance. Um, and it was just playing with different density percentages and weight of the tea blend and you know it's it's a lot of math back and forth <laughs> that I filled sheets on sheets out of my notebook with trying yeah. to get that one tea blend. I can relate. It sounds a lot like <laughs> the process that I go through to develop a cocktail bitters yeah. flavor. Um, you know, it's the same, very similar, right? It's a tea is an infusion in this in a similar way that bitters are an infusion. You're, yes. I'm using alcohol. You're using hot water. Um, but uh, can I ask? maybe a, a very basic question about what the definition of a tea is because uh, like you, when you said the flavor, it's like sage rose. I don't categorize either of those things as teas individually. Um, and I guess my question more specifically is if you have to start with a base tea thing that you then layer more flavor components into. So that's a very complex question uh, because depending on who you ask, tea to some people is only from the Camellia sinensis or Semica plants, and that's your black tea, white tea, green tea. But other people who don't drink caffeine maybe, or you know, have a very holistic herbal lifestyle would call an herbal tea a tea, um, which goes under the name in our brand, uh, tea sane is a common way to say something that you've infused in water, uh, usually hot water, that gives a flavor or anything else to the water. Um, but it doesn't contain that tea leaf. Um, it really depends on who you're talking to, to me. Mm, and I've, I've seen that distinction. There's a, a cool place in DC called Teaism. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I've yeah. enjoyed working there in the past. I used to go there to grade uh, papers when I was teaching yeah. uh, poetry workshops because they had a koi pond. Oh. So I could go and get like a coconut curry and... Uh, they didn't have Wi-Fi, so the distraction was not there. And then after right. I was done with my curry, I'd go upstairs and, and uh, just get some teas. And I saw there the, the tea sand uh, distinction. And I kind of assumed that's what it was, yes. but I, I, didn't, I didn't know for sure. So um, do you have any of those tea sands um, or do you s mostly or strictly work with the, um, the green, white, black teas? Yeah, we awesome. absolutely have some tea sands. Yeah, um, one of the first blends we came up with was a uh, tisane because we knew people were going to want something like that. Just a simple chamomile with lavender, spearmint, and some um, apple pieces. Apple, yeah. Oh, that sounds really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, um, sorry, and then going back, what about also like the Yao Pan? Yeah, exactly, um, which so, is interesting. Yeah, talk um, about that. 
So we just came out with another a seasonal blend that is an herbal tea, but I think people would consider it more of a true tea. A true tea, yeah. Um, which so Yaopan, if you haven't heard of it, is similar to um, a yerba mate, which someone might have heard of, uh, except it's. It's grown um, in the U.S. It's the only tea native to – or it's only herb native to the continental U.S. that has caffeine in it, very similar to yerba mate. Ours is sourced from uh, Texas where yes. it's wild harvested, and then they roast it. Um, so it has it, more of a nutty kind of caramelly flavor, and then we put it with um, uh, walnuts and cinnamon, a little bit of uh, clove, peppercorn. Okay. So it has a really nice festive kind of feel to it. Totally. It feels more like a tea instead of like an herbal tea, but it is all it herbal. It's technically an herbal tea. Gotcha. Technically a tea saint, which Just is like interesting. Just like yerba mate is. Yeah, mm. and I try to make it, you know, I try to make a point of telling people that are buying it that it does have caffeine uh, because if people see that it's a tea saint, then they assume. usually assume that there's no caffeine there. Yeah. It's interesting how so many of these distinctions arise, um, whether you're talking about teas or wines or spirits. It's it, the definition game uh, yeah. <laughs> is a tricky one because people people get um, tied to their definitions. And when mm -hmm. they see something that either attempts to break a category or seems to disregard it, uh, they get a little bit squirrely. And I think it's just because like categories are a comfort thing yes. for us. And like, and tea is one of those deeply personal things. Right. Um, so it's really interesting to hear you talk about this because I'm, I'm very much coming into this interview as a, as a novice. And I, I guess the, the next thing I wanted to talk about is kind of tied into, um, what you were saying about the tea dust, essentially, that, that what we're getting at the store from these big brands in, in many cases is just sort of like the, uh, the dregs of what it could be. Yeah, I mean, there's also like barely any nutritional value in that. When you yeah. think about tea as like a healthy beverage, what you're getting at the grocery store has very little. Yeah. Well, why don't you start <laughs> by talking about the potential for nutritional value? Because that's something that I know very little about. I mean, we hear this word antioxidant floated around a lot. Um, but so talk about that. And then maybe we can move on to talk about some quality indicators that people should look for. And if you want to use your stuff as a case study to like talk about quality indicators in tea, then that, that'd be awesome. I would like to so, start by saying we are not doctors. We cannot tell you. People always that. want, people always want tea to be, um, some sort of cure-all or, this Weight like loss product yeah like some sort of fix and it's not it, yes it has healthy benefits like things like antioxidants but it, it, and it's not they a have they, thing. right it's, there's no miracle drug yes tea is a healthy option it has antioxidants it has vitamins minerals and things like that but it's like, not like most things that yeah go exactly out of the like right. if you're right, <laughs> if you're eating your vegetables you're good you know but um it's not a cure-all, and of course, it will help you lose weight if you're exchanging tea instead of soda, or you know, working out and drinking tea instead of something that's bad for you. And people are looking for different answers, um, which I would like to take this opportunity to note that detox tea. Don't be fooled and do your reading. <laughs> it will make you just go to the bathroom. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it'll, it'll get you pretty dehydrated um, and then you'll just go to the bathroom a People lot. always want something um, from that. I, the thing I tell most people when they come to me, uh, 
people who read our sign from afar and walk up to <laughs> us think that it's weight loss tea. Oh. Instead of white instead like weight instead of white. Yeah. And so what I find myself telling them most of the time is that if I had a miracle weight loss product that you lost fifty pounds in three days, I'd be a millionaire and I wouldn't be standing here. Yeah. So <laughs> so, so I, I think a good way to say it might be that tea is sort of health adjacent. Yes. Absolutely. It's delicious. <laughs> And health adjacent. <laughs> there we go. That's that's about as like middle of the road a statement as we can make. So that's perfect. Um, you know, and people ask like what the health benefits of tea are, but why aren't they asking that about coffee? Like the same sort of like idea. It's just it's right. It's a healthier option than all the crap stuff that you could be drinking. And you know, if you are drinking teas with some crazy herbs in it that um, may or may not have health claims to them, I would just recommend you seeing your doctor, especially if you're pregnant or you have other things going on in your life where that could maybe throw some off because there are herbs that will affect your body, um, but we're not doctors and we don't like to speak on that too heavily. Sure. No, of course. And it seems like with uh, the branding of your tea as a, as a luxury tea brand, yes. um, it seems like you're more concerned with flavor. So yeah. can we maybe talk about some of those quality indicators yes. and how they pertain to flavor? Uh, and maybe this has to do with the ingredients themselves. Maybe it has to do with their treatment and maybe it has to do with the blending. It can be anything here. Sure. So if you're looking for quality indicators on tea, I'm just thinking like if you're used to buying your tea in the grocery store and you're just starting to branch out into some higher quality teas, especially loose leaf, um, look for things that have, or look for teas or blends or companies who pride themselves on quality, number one. But to look for yourself, um, look at nice whole tea leaves. And this is more when you look at after you brew the cup, because some tea leaves like we had today are rolled. Uh, some are flattened. Some are, you know, curled up in little bits. But as you steep them, they should open up and unfurl. Um, and if you have some broken ones and some not, you know, perfect ones, that's fine. Um, but you're looking for a general larger leaf size. You look for them to open up and be nice and tender. Um, and really just with that comes with that is flavor. You're going to get much better flavor and much better mouthfeel. And it's it's quite a difference from what you're used to getting in a grocery store. Yeah, that's something I notice about what we're drinking right now is that it actually has a mouthfeel. And yes. again, coming into this is pretty much a novice. That's not something I expected out of my tea. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so what about, so, yeah, so I spent um, a semester in England and they obviously drink a lot of tea there. It's a rich yes. tea tradition. I went and bought some some really nice Earl Grey tea. Sure. It's something that I enjoyed back home. And then I, I went and bought it from a tea merchant at a local kind of farmer's market there. And he had this whole rigmarole of like, okay, you got to do this. And then, no, you don't put this in first. You put that in first. And if you're doing milk, you got to do this. So is there, um, is, is process, <laughs> brewing process, <laughs> um, like a, a thing with tea? Is, is that going to affect the outcome? That, yeah. You'll find that brew process typically changes drastically regionally. Okay. So the English, I think are a little bit more... Maybe the term isn't a good one, but I think they're a little more stuck up with their practices and rituals. They're not going. People are not going to like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. We can take that out. But it's it's very rich in tradition, and it's been that way for a long time. So they're they're insistent on keeping that tradition. Sure. However, the reason I have a million different teapots and brewing vessels is because I enjoy and I kind of nerd out on. Indian tea being brewed this way and Chinese tea being brewed that way, but you can steep them all the same way and get more or less the same result. 
Well, um, think about t- water temperature and right. time and everything. Though, and but. that's, you know, I'll get into that. Okay. But I'm talking about like rituals and steeping and you got to, you know, if you're doing milk, you have to do it this way. There's some validity to that, but it's it's mostly tradition and, and culturally what happened where that is. You obviously, really the only rule is start with dry tea, pour water over it is my only rule for you. Um, and then we get into, water. yeah, don't use boiling water. Unless you have an herbal tea, don't use boiling water. Um, a little bit less than boiling is usually just fine. And then if you're doing a lighter tea like we're drinking today, a white tea, green tea, you're going to be looking at 175-ish. Um, a little hot or a little cooler than that is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And what's the boiling point of water just so we have it on the airwaves? 212. 212. So, so 212 to 175. So you're looking at maybe like a 10% decrease down. Yes. Yeah. And I often tell people if you're steeping a really delicate tea and you don't want it to be bitter and in your face like that, as the bubbles form on the bottom of your pot and start to lift up, cut it there. That should be fine. Mm. Yeah, and that's if you want to go and pour that immediately yes. over your tea leaves. Great. Um, so that's a great procedural recommendation. Um, you, you mentioned ritual. Uh, obviously, people are probably familiar with like the the Chinese or Japanese tea yes. rituals. Um, it is a highly ritualized thing. Uh, is there any room for like what are your thoughts on like those those overarching like cultural rituals versus personal personal rituals? Do you have any of your own? Uh, I think if it's if it's something that you find peace in, that's your ritual, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think about my own my own rituals. I don't know. It changes day to day. I mean, when I get to work, I put everything down. I that's the first thing I do is I go make my cup of tea, so then I can settle in and get ready for the day. I mean, I have to be um, honest. That's what I do. As soon as I wake up, I make tea every day. So. I guess that's my ritual. I never really thought about that. It's part of something or, you know, um, if it's been a long day, making a cup of tea, sitting down and just getting rid of everything in my head. (laughs) It's kind of weird. It's weird. Like weird to think of based on based on the way you just said it. But that's almost like a mindfulness thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's so you're almost using like the the tea as a um, as a a tuning fork or something to reset with uh, or something to start off with. Yes. Yeah. That's really great. Um, so tea and cocktails, this is a cocktail podcast. Tea and cocktails has a a rich tradition, uh, starting off with one of my favorite things to talk about, which is punch. I love punch. I think the, the book punch by David Wondrich is an excellent book. I think this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think it's better than imbibe, which is the book that he got famous <laughs> for. I think it's just more interesting and, and, and there's a lot more room for discussion because in the gap between the like 1600s and the 1800s, there's just this precipitous drop in archival documents. So he had a little bit more room to speculate, uh, even, even though there is a decent amount of record keeping from, um, from the like the British East India Company and stuff like that. So he had some stuff to work with, but the stories in that book are excellent. And I think that's a, a great place to start for anyone looking to learn about punch. Um, but when I think of tea in a cocktail, that's where I go. Um, so what are what do you think of when, when you um, approach a tea cocktail? We just punch? did a tea punch okay. uh, for a local business they were opening and they were having a um, soft opening party. And they featured, we had a punch with... Our sage rose white tea. Oh, yeah. So that's a really fun cocktail that we do. Uh, we use our sage rose white tea, which is a little bit dry, a little bit floral, and a little bit earthy. And uh, I typically do Bombay Sapphire Gin and uh, some elderflower liqueur of your choice. And so it sweetens a little bit, and it's 
floral and it's also a little earthy and everything kind of comes together in a nice like cocktail. So that one was fun that recently happened. But uh, so but back to the like yeah, but back to the question. Sure, um, that's a great example, by the way. The obvious uh, tea and cocktails thing is toddies, and mm. that's getting big this time of year. And I have way more than that, but. Uh, <laughs> I've been doing a couple toddies recently with uh, some very festive flavors where I'm using some bourbon and I have this really neat rye barrel aged maple syrup that I'll put with our uh, fireside fig tea, which is a caffeine free herbal tea with figs, cinnamon and ginger. Oh, oh that's it, so it's, good. It's pretty awesome. Um, what, uh, what company is the um, aged syrup from? Do you know oh, off the top do you of your remember? Oh, shoot. Um, while we sit here, I can look it up. Okay. Okay, it's not not a huge deal, but uh, a lot they're of they're based our, in DC, I think. Is it Langdon Wood? Let me let me look that up. Maybe um, that sounds familiar. Yeah, they, they they make one. I believe they they might use uh, I believe Catoctin Creek casks. It sounds like that it's sounds them. like that's what we're okay. that's what we're using. Yeah, Catoctin Creek's a fantastic rye distillery uh, out in Percival, Virginia. They've been a, a partner of of ours from the from the get go. So great product, and and I, I love the symbiotic relationship between oh, yeah. them because they they also then take those barrels that had the syrup in it and then reuse them to make a maple syrup like infused like kind of rye oh. uh that's a special release for them around the holidays so it's very, very fun very appropriate that you're using yeah. that because they also key in on that so a hot toddy um is there any sort of oh we got confirmation on the langdon wood so that's langdon good. Wood. Yeah. yes yeah, uh, so if you're in that. the dc uh maryland virginia area <laughs> that should be something that you can find somewhere near you so uh, definitely a, a quality product um so look that up if you're if you're in the market for a sweetener that has a local flair and that uh is a, a verified excellent cocktail ingredient yeah so talk to me more about toddies um when I think of a toddy, I think of like whiskey, tea, a sweetener, and lemon. Yes, typically. Okay. Um, and you can get a little bit out of the box with that. I've used different bitters in in toddies before. Um, typically, all I all all of my ground rules are basically you need some tea with some flavor, usually a dark liquor of your choice, and something to sweeten it. Uh, lemon is. Good sometimes, but for some things, maybe it's not necessary. Sure. I think that also depends on how much sweetness you do yes. put in there. Um, obviously, having a little bit of citrus in there is... Um, it, it's it's a it's a matter of balance. Uh, so you want you kind of want to have that sour to sweet ratio if you are going to include it, unless you know the ingredients that you're using in this particular toddy uh, really lend itself to just citrus and no sugar, or perhaps just right just sugar no citrus. It seems like the the fig element in the recipe you're describing plays a really interesting role. It does. The fig actually, without adding any sugar to the tea by itself, has a quite a bit of a sweetness to it and it has a really nice juicy mouthfeel as well. So when you're drinking that tea and you put bourbon in it, um, I find that I'm using less maple syrup than I would normally use if I were to just sweeten my tea with that in the first place. Uh, I see. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and obviously in cocktails, you know, the ratio of spirit to sweet to sour. And this all, this goes all the way back to the original punch, which was, you know, really a marriage of the five ingredients of, you know, water, spirit, sugar, uh, spice and citrus, I believe, are the yeah. five. I don't think I repeat anything there, but that really does seem to be all about balance. So um, is there any like practices or um, I guess approaches that you have when you're trying to design a tea cocktail? Um, just 
take an idea and kind of run with it. I think that if you start with step one, there's usually someone who may have done something similar, but not necessarily the exact thing you're looking to do. So just get familiar with whatever technique they're using, uh, whether it's making a reduction with the tea, whether you're using the tea as just the water element in a cocktail, um, or making a simple syrup with it. Uh, just find someone who's done something similar and just make a trial batch and see what happens. Sure. Yeah, that's great advice. And and I think there's a couple of resources out there that are fun. Uh, I know that in Dave Arnold's book, Liquid Intelligence, uh, there's a really interesting uh, case study on tea uh, in the form of his Arnold Palmer uh, cocktail. And it's funny, he talks about uh, a pitfall with tea, uh, specifically the black tea that he was using. And, and I enjoy this because tea is a great thing to try and include in your cocktails. But there are things called tannins in tea, right? Yes. And that's basically the stuff that dries out your mouth. It, it's um, it gives the astringent feeling, yes. um, kind of mm -hmm. like a. It, besides drying, it it's also not gritty, but but the, almost fuzzy feeling on your tongue and on your gums. Yeah, yeah, exactly that fuzzy feeling. I like that. So those are the tannins or polyphenols, I believe, are the the technical um, type of chemical family, and. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He found that those were not good in his Arnold Palmer. He, he made it, um, and then he ended up actually milk washing it out. So by, by putting it with milk and then adding acid and kind of curdling that, um, really? that milk, it, it sucked the polyphenols out of the black tea. And, and, you know, like some of those black teas can be really, really astringent. Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a good um, place to start if you're looking on uh, at doing like tea syrups or something like that, which I think is a great way to utilize tea because you're doing the same thing you'd be doing anyway. You're just adding sugar because when you make a syrup, you have to heat it. Yes. So as long as you're able to keep that syrup from boiling while getting it hot enough to extract the flavor from the tea and dissolve the sugar, then that's really what you should be looking for, right? Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's a pretty easy practice, and then you can put it in a bottle and store it in the fridge, and you can have it for weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, can we talk about two more, like, tea-adjacent things? Sure. Um, and maybe then cocktails. I don't know if you've gotten into this. I'm completely foreign to it, but I've seen them on Instagram and at restaurants and stuff like that. But matcha and chai. Yep. Sure. So matcha is a usually a ground tencha leaf from Japan. So it's a shade grown, very high quality green tea. Um, and when you shade grow it before the harvest, the chlorophyll content goes crazy in the leaf. So you have this bright green flavor and aroma. Um, matcha has a very green, earthy flavor, very grassy. I love it. Brittany loves it. Uh, but sometimes when it's your first time trying it, it can be a little much. So I recommend to try it first, maybe as a latte with some honey, uh, get some sweetness and some creaminess to it. And then um, I really like matcha and lemonade together, as fun nice. as that sounds. Yeah, no, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> and of course, with matcha, I think the big uh, thing is the color. Yes. And very rarely do you find cocktail ingredients, maybe with the exception of like green chartreuse, that have like a very like bursting green color. So I feel like that's a good opportunity to take advantage of, of that aspect in a cocktail. And it's also important to remember that if you're purchasing matcha, when color is important, you need a high grade matcha, um, something that's really good quality. There's different qualities of matcha. And if you get a baking grade or you get the cheap stuff, you're going to get a brown or like a dingy green color instead of this bright, vibrant green that you'd 
you're probably looking for. Yes. And, and in addition to that, to add on. So be careful. <laughs> yeah. When you're buying lower quality matchas, I know it's tempting to get a cheaper priced matcha. Um, but other than the flavor and the color, uh, the, the, the way it feels on your tongue can be vastly different than if you're getting a high grade, nice uh, ceremonial matcha. Bad matcha is chalky. Yeah. Mm. It, it feels thick and chalky on your tongue. Whereas good matcha, when, when mixed properly, will, will be suspended enough in the water that it will be nice and smooth. Okay. And that has to do, so matcha is literally, as I understand it, it's the ground up leaves and you're literally drinking the leaves. Whereas in regular tea, the leaves are remain whole and then you strain them out. Right. Right. Which also means if you let the cocktail or the drink sit too long, it will go back to the bottom of the cup. I see. Okay. And that's why in a lot of like matcha lattes that are served at these coffee shops, it, it's a better fit for them because if you're suspending it in like a cream or a milk with some froth, then that prevents, at least for the time being, that settling out. Exactly. Okay. So that's a really good uh, like advice on, on matcha sourcing. Is there a quality indicator? Is there like a word that people should look for on the box to make sure they're getting high-grade matcha? The, the problem with that is um, since now matcha is so popular, they're starting to use certain terms as buzzword, like buzzwords. So seeing something, people are starting to look for something called like ceremonial grade matcha. And now everybody's using the term ceremonial grade. It doesn't really mean much. So start looking at price, really. And then maybe start looking at reviews. Um, and then you're just going to kind of have to go by trial and error, or you can just buy it from us. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great plug. Uh, and we'll definitely, we'll definitely uh, have lots of, lots of links in the show notes for, for that, for folks who are interested. But uh, you made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because what you were just describing with matcha is very much something that happens in the spirits world, especially with something that gets really hot, like bourbon. And so you mm -hmm. see things like craft, or you know, more generally, you see the word craft. The word yes. craft is just constantly abused because it doesn't have a definition. Tito's craft vodka, for example, and, right? And everywhere, sure. Um, <laughs> so there's there's lots of there's lots of ways that this can get kind of abused. So that's that's great advice to to know that that also happens in the tea world and anywhere really where there's competition and and someone sees a competitive edge with naming. So that's great. Um, can we talk a little bit about chai uh, as we as we wrap up and? maybe hit some lightning round questions? Sure. So chai is a really interesting word, and I'm glad you brought it up, actually, because in many uh, languages in areas that produce tea, chai just means tea. Mm -hmm. um, but in Western culture, and mostly in the U.S., chai means typically a spiced tea. So usually a black tea, but can be a different, a different style mixed with your typical ginger, cinnamon, clove, cardamom, black pepper, maybe star anise and a couple other very aromatic spices. It can be drank by itself or in essence black, or it can be drank with cream and sugar. It depends entirely on the person drinking it and the style of the tea itself. Okay. So it's, it seems like the spicing of it is kind of the operative thing. Yes. In particularly Western culture. Yes. Okay. And is what, like with the milk, is is milk kind of a necessary component of it as, as we're mostly going to come across it here in the U.S.? Um, in the U.S., typically the way chai is served now, I would say, yes, there's usually milk to it. Um, it's not necessary 
Uh, but there is like one of our chais, we make a couple of different ones. One of our chais I designed to have milk in it because it has a very dark, like you mentioned, tanniny, heavy, deep leaf. And when you add some uh, milk or creamer or maybe coconut milk to it and a little bit of sweetness to it, it really kind of shows everything it's got and comes to life. Yeah. But we have another chai that we I recommend. prefer without, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So uh, to put it on a spectrum, most of your tea blends are blended with herbs and when you get into the chai category there tends to be more of the whole spices yes okay and then i guess with the herbs it seems like some of your other blends also contain fruits because you've mentioned mm -hmm. so far apples and fig um but we also have the whole um we have the spices and other teas too yeah. okay yeah. there are plenty of teas where i'm mixing whole spices in with other herbs and the teas so it just seems to be an emphasis point thing then. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm asking all these, these like very picky questions because I, I really have never spent time uh, thinking about this. Um, do you have any advice for folks who have listened to what we've said so far and want to do a better job with tea at home? Are there any pieces of hardware that you would recommend or any, um, educational resources that were particularly influential to you? I think um, tea can feel, I, I get a lot of people saying that tea is daunting. They seem kind of scared to even start beyond the tea bag. They don't know what to do. It's not as daunting as it seems. Just start trying it and see, and you know, you're going to make mistakes just like with anything else. So, you know, that's, it's not hard um, to just try trial and error with it. Um, yeah, I tell people to think about the strainer that we use to brew loose leaf tea as their tea bag, but it's reusable and washable. Uh, and that that's my easiest way of telling you it's really not that hard, because if you make tea at home in a tea bag anyway, um, you're putting hot water on the tea bag and pulling it out when you're done steeping. But the same goes for your strainer. You just wash it when you're done and use it the next day. And you're saying, and just to go back to review the question, uh, you said just like general tips and everything like that. Or educational, educational resources. resources. I don't know. Okay. Like sometimes in an industry, like you come across the book. Yeah. Okay. I've got that too. So I would say a um, couple quick tips. Usually you want to use one and a half teaspoons to two teaspoons for every eight to 12 ounces. Again, don't use boiling water um, and pay attention to steep time. Those are like the big the big three things. Water quality also tends to matter. Just, you know, it. but boiling will do the trick. And I mean, drink, or not boiling, yeah. but like heating the water will do the right. trick. And drink what you like. If you like typical, you know, Lipton tea, but you're getting into higher end teas, go for usually some black teas out of India. Um, but if you like that, stick with it. You don't have to be into all these different blends with herbs and spices. If you like that, great. There are plenty of people out there that like us that want to have those for you to, you know, consume. But if you like light teas, just drink those. It's all personal and, you know. It's just fun. Have just fun. drink what you like. And it's a fun journey to find what you like and to find what you don't like because you then you know and you can continue your journey with that knowledge. Yeah. And I've got a good book re recommendation. Um, if you're looking to learn a lot about, it, about tea, um, a really good comprehensive guide is called The Art and Craft of Tea. And it's by Joseph Wesley All, spelled U-H-L. Okay. We will link to that in the show notes page so that everyone can go check it out. Um, ready for some lightning round questions? Sure. <sighs> yep. 
<laughs> so these are going to be more spirit related, and you can give a, a sh- as short an answer as you want. We, we've got a little back and forth here, so I'm sure we'll get into into some discussions. But what is your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite cocktail of all time, what's something you've been more into recently? Favorite cocktail of all time is the aviation. What? That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> that is a that's probably my wife's favorite cocktail of all cool. time. What do you like about it? I, I honestly like everything about it. One, it looks like I'm drinking some sort of magic potion. Two, it tastes great. Um, it's really simple and it has a unique ingredient. So like I feel like if the, if a bar has the creme de violette. That's good. Like they're good in my book. You right. Know? <laughs> and it gives it that dusky kind of purple thing. Right. And sometimes there's a little bit of like a color gradient depending on when they added it. That's yeah. kind of, that's a cool answer. So I feel special when I drink it and I can judge a bar on it. Uh, so boom, quality indicator as well. I love it. Yeah. I love when we find those cocktails because I think everyone should have that cocktail that they like. And I'm judging that maraschino cherry too. Ooh. I hate bad marriage. I hate. Mm. Get some good looks, Arno cherries. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What about you, Joey? I wish I had a fun answer like that, but I have to go with a properly made old fashioned. Boom, which is another great indicator cocktail, right? It yeah. is a good indicator cocktail. And I often find that that's an indicator more of maybe your bartender than mm. it is the establishment itself. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's a good point. Um, okay. If you were a cocktail tool or ingredient, and maybe we can extend, let's extend this to a a cocktail or a tea tool or ingredient, what would you be and why? I had an answer prepared. <laughs> I know. I kind of just like, mucked it up here. I was thinking about it last night and I was like, not, I wasn't sure. And I asked my boyfriend who was like playing a game on my phone and I was like, what ingredient or tool would I be for a cocktail? And without looking up, he was just like bitters and just went back to playing his game. I was like, I don't know what you're saying about me. <laughs> uh-huh. But I'm going to take that as, um, I just really like all the like, the herbal sort of infusion, like it's it's complex, but it's just a simple ingredient that really changes everything about a drink. So yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm the mixing tin. <laughs> okay, cobbler Instead shaker or Boston shaker. So are you the guy with the little the little cap on top? No, you're the Boston <laughs> shaker. Yeah. Okay, you're the 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 master. Just kind of like the thing that everything goes into and yeah. comes back out of. Different. Well, you know, I I like whether it's blending teas or cooking or really anything else. I like taking a lot of different things and putting them together in different ways, um, whether it be strange and unusual or a classic. Um, and that shaker can get it all done. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great answer. Um, so this is this is the big one. Cocktail with anyone, past or present. Who'd it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Oh, my God. <laughs> I really struggle with this question. It's, it's I work, probably the most contentious <laughs> question we have. I work um, part-time recruiting for, like, a market research company, and we have to ask this question all the time. So I constantly think about it, and I've still never come up with an answer to it. <laughs> um, but I just finished watching every single season of Jersey Shore. <laughs> So I'm just gonna, that's an accomplishment, I, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I've I've already watched them. I just rewatch them. Um, <laughs> so I'm just gonna say I would love to have a cocktail with Vinny from Jersey Shore. Vinny from Jersey Shore. <laughs> First time that Vinny has made an appearance. On, on uh, that's great. How about you, Joey? Oh, I don't want to say this, but my gut's telling me to say it. So I I it. want to get a I want to have a cocktail with Snoop Dogg. <laughs> would it be a, a CBD cocktail? You know, if that's what he's in the mood for, maybe. 
Um, but I just think he's the coolest. And I've said that when people have asked me the question, who would you meet or have a meal with? It's always been Snoop Dogg because I think he's great. Um, I think I want to drink some Grand Marnier out of a snifter with Snoop. Okay. Uh, a departure from the usual gin and juice. Yeah. Uh, you know. But Grand Marnier out of a snifter. Uh, have, have you been in Baltimore? Uh, have you ever been to Pub Dog? Oh, I went into Pub Dog once and it was so crowded we couldn't get a seat, so I left. But I went into Pub Dog once with with my buddy who used to work in the Inner Harbor, and this is a bar where they do, I believe, pizza. Right? They're called Pub Dog, but they're they're known for their pizza. I think. Yeah, I believe so. Which is an interesting choice, and they also just happen to sell like a ton of Grand Marnier, and uh, they're my buddy knew like all the little tricks to get free shots of Grand Marnier and there's like Ooh. three or four little tricks to be done. And, uh, they, they, he, he kept it. He's like, Hey, it's his first time shot comes over. And then, <laughs> and then at some point the bartenders just got bored and we're just like, all right, we're doing we're this. Doing another one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was an interesting, uh, interesting evening, but, uh, cool. Great answers for that. Um, so you've given advice on, um, like approaches to tea and even book recommendations. Um, so I guess what we can do now is just if you have any parting messages that you wanted to um, give our listeners, um, but then also, of course, most importantly, um, how, to, how to find you both digitally and um, you know, in, in person if there are any particular places that you recommend. Um, parting words, I would say is if you ever, we love tea. If you ever have any questions about tea, it doesn't matter what it is or who you bought it from. Always happy to answer any questions. We're the only people behind any social media, um, for our company or email. It's just me or Joey. So feel free to ask. It doesn't matter. I feel like it's great. And no judgment by the way. Yeah. So. Totally. And it's great when there's real people there to answer the question, something that I come across a lot because, you know, we're all in kind of a startup environment. And so it's 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 kind of common for us, but it's actually really unexpected in most cases from from the user side. And and so I do really recommend that when people want some education to, to really not feel shy about reaching out, because that's why we do this. That's why we're all sitting here enjoying tea and, and having these discussions so that we can spark a conversation with you all. So I do hope you do reach out. Yeah, I'd like to add a little parting message is just don't be daunted by tea and loose leaf tea. Um, it can carry such an an air of, I don't know, difficulty, difficulty and, and I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It's almost like the, it's <laughs> got this can, mystique, right? Yeah, people and it's often, you know, intimidating to some people because there's so many different varieties of tea from different places in the world and different ways of brewing it. And everyone seems to have the tea that they like. Don't be afraid to not like something and like something different. Just try it. Just try it. Just try, Just try it. it. So that's like your your Nike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you can find us at whitetea.com spelled W-I-G-H-T. It's like the Isles of White or like light, but with a W. Got it. And on the socials? Uh, at So at White Tea Co. Anywhere. White Tea Co. Beautiful. And if folks are looking to purchase your stuff, I'm guessing you have a fully functional e-commerce store? Yes, that's correct. At whitetea.com, you can also shop online with us. Beautiful. Joey and Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two
two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, a killer top shelf cup of tea by Brittany and Joe of White Tea Company, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2018.